Mission Day, Pastor Bill has been preaching out of the book of Proverbs over the summer and sharing with us various principles of God's wisdom built off of the fear of the Lord. This fear of the Lord, godly wisdom, is encapsulated in Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom of God. This much we've learned over the summer. And we're shifting gears as we move into September, and our pastors are going to be preaching on work. That is, jobs, occupations, and and churches don't talk a lot about that. Uh, So I'm looking forward to where we're going to go in September and perhaps beyond. But today is a transition day, and and I went to Bill and I said, I have a brilliant idea about how we could transition from Proverbs into work. Proverbs 31. Now, in my opinion, when I really stopped and thought about it, there are three topics that, a, that a, any preacher is, is pretty nuts to preach on. Three topics that you generally want to avoid. People's sex lives, women's roles, and military involvement in the Middle East. And it dawns on me that after today, I will have preached on two out of those three in one year. Let's pray for me. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fall on this place. I pray that you would anoint me now. Certainly that you would help me not to say anything stupid. But more than that, that you would help me say wise things. That you would give me power to say the right things. The things from the Word of God and and nothing more. That I wouldn't try to add on. And that where I would, that people would again, filled with you, inspired by you, illuminated by you, would be able to decipher what is your truth, and that people would hear the liberating word of God, that they would hear the good news today. Holy Spirit, come and do your work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are looking at Proverbs 31 this morning. I would encourage you very strongly to follow along in the Scriptures. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, don't be afraid to go and grab one back there. Uh, I I encourage you to follow along. We're going to go through the entire chapter. As we look at woman's work, why did I give it a provocative title? That wasn't necessary. Fascinating chapter. In Proverbs, fascinating chapter in the Bible. And it doesn't start contrary to popular belief. It does not start by talking about a woman's role or talking about the ideal wife or the ideal mother. It doesn't start there. It actually starts in verse 1, which says this. If you go to the next slide. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. We don't know who King Lemuel is, uh, but we do know a bit about his mother in this case. Uh, We know that she named him King Lemuel. Lemuel means dedicated to God. And we know that she received a word from the Lord. She received an oracle. An oracle just means a divine word, a word that she's, that, that is, that, that's being transmitted through a person. And, you know, if we're honest, we have to say that it's unlikely that any woman wrote a single word of the Bible. 
Because when we go back and we look at ancient Semitic culture, ancient Near East or Middle Eastern culture, women were not scribes. They weren't trained in that. So it's unlikely that a woman wrote any part of the Bible in the Old Testament or knew. However, you will note that we do have a number of words from women in the Bible. They were the ones who transmitted the word of the Lord. Uh, You think of people like Miriam. You think of people like the prophetess Deborah or another prophetess, Huldah, or Esther, or Anna in the New Testament. We have women's words in Scripture, and Proverbs 31 is special, maybe even unique, in that we have this lengthy chapter from a woman. These are the words of the Queen Mother, the mother of King Lemuel. So let's listen to this wise Queen Mother. Verse 2. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? And, And just stop here for a second. She's not talking about the Proverbs 31 woman, you notice. She's talking about the Proverbs 31 man. Let's not forget about this. Proverbs 31 is also laying out some kind of pattern, some kind of wise image of what a man should be. She's speaking to her son, this prince who's going to become king. Maybe is king already. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women. Your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, Defend the rights of the poor and needy. If you want to be a Proverbs 31 man, Lemuel's mama would say, make sure that you are at work. You have a job to do. If you are royalty, you better get to work. That is the point of verse 2. That's why she keeps on saying, what are you doing If you are king, then you have certain tasks to accomplish. If you are royalty, you have certain tasks to accomplish. And before any of you men say, well, you know, technically I'm not royalty. Well, yes, you are. The Lord God has made you sons of the Most High. Jesus Christ has restored you into relationship with the king, and you are princes of the Lord now. You're supposed to do royal work, so this is a word to you. What are you doing And then Lemuel's mother says this, there are two things that are going to prohibit you from being a good king. They are going to distract you. The first one is there in verse 3, do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. What she's talking about here clearly are relationship, romantic, sexual relationships that are going to distract you. And if you look at the long history of kings in the world, the long history of anybody who really has power, 
men in power, they almost always go after prostitutes, or if they want to upgrade, they get their own personal harem, or perhaps they have mistresses, or perhaps they um, will have trysts with lovers out in their kingdom. And that this is all a good source of entertainment and fun, and it is a total distraction for governors. That a culture of prostitution, a culture of woman chasing, is going to distract from a king's job, right? She says, be careful about that stuff. Moreover, verse 4, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. What she's not saying here is that you should never touch alcohol. In fact, later on in the chapter, we'll see that this virtuous woman actually goes out and plants a vineyard and enters the wine business. So she's not saying that wine is awful. What she's saying is this, is that if you are a king, if you have any kind of power in this world, really, then it is your job to oversee the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Really the poor and the oppressed, because the wealthy and the powerful don't need special help. Right? If you're wealthy, then you go out and you get a good attorney, and you get a good accountant, and you get all of your people. But, but if you don't have the money to get those sorts of people on your side, then you need help. And ideally, governors, those who have power, those who are in charge of the, 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 the city, will be able to help those, but only if they're alert. And alcohol abuse dulls people. Drugs will pervert those who rule. This is not about avoiding alcohol and drugs at all costs. It is about committing yourself to good work. And you cannot be a good worker if you are distracted by women, chasing women, and distracted by getting involved in drugs and various types of substance abuse. And so if she, if, if she were here, she, she, would, she would say to all you men, I, I kind of imagine her having a southern accent, which is probably not historically accurate, <laughs> right? <laughs> But if she were here, she would say, you men need to get away from this culture of prostitution, this culture of pornography, because it is distracting you from your royal work. And she would say, you need to get away from from drugs, whether they are legal or illegal, whether they are prescription or whether you buy them on the street. You need to get away from this alcohol abuse. Why? Because you need to rule. You're neglecting your job. You're neglecting your royal status if you are distracted. She might even say, on a little more subtle level, and hear me correctly here, hear me correctly, she might say something like this, that many of you men are are distracted because you are obsessed with checking your Facebook page, and you're distracted by going after uh, the ultimate Belgian ale And you are distracted by by going online and doing online dating. And and you're distracted with all these things. And and this is not to say that any of these things is bad in and of itself. Of course, dating is wonderful. and, and, And alcohol can be wonderful, too. Get a good bottle of Cabernet. Great. Go do that thing. But do not let it distract you. Do not get obsessed with that. Because it will not make you a good ruler. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
Do you understand what she's saying? We need to get to work. And so the queen mother teaches industriousness, chastity, temperance, justice. All of these things are fitting for a king. She teaches it. But does she model it? She says, uh, a real man should do this. But does she have anything to say about her own life and anything about what a woman should be in relation to this king? Turns out she does. There's the context of Proverbs 31, starting in verse 10. And we'll get there in just one second to see what she says about the virtuous wife. But you realize that our culture has an awful lot to say about what we should look for in a woman, what the ultimate woman looks like, right? The world has plenty of opinions on who is the it girl. In fact, let me just ask you, uh, which superstar do you think of uh, that the world is upholding as the ultimate woman these days? Beyonce. Yeah, Rihanna? Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, even in her own way. <laughs> right, but, but, but you remember, she died the same day as somebody else. Well, it was the same day or about the same time. Namely, the same day, Princess Diana, who was very much the it girl. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence, I know, was, was really the hot girl for a while. Uh, J-Lo still seems to be everywhere. And the list goes on and on, right? In fact, if you just watch late-night television and you see these talk shows, if you ever want to find out like, who, who, who the ultimate woman is in our culture's mind, then you watch Jimmy Fallon. You watch Jimmy Kimmel. They'll have them on. Now, we don't want to stereotype too much and say that there's just the it girl. In fact, there are different uh, ideals of femininity, and they've changed. If, if you will indulge me for a moment here, can we go a, down a slide or two? Yeah, actually, sorry. I've been neglecting the slides. Go down. Down. Yeah, you know, if you, if you look at where our culture has been in America in the last century, we've actually seen a kind of migration from one ideal to another. An older ideal, really kind of the post-war ideal, 1940s, 50s, 60s, was the princess. The ideal woman was delicate, helpless, soft, both literally and figuratively, coy, you know what I mean, kind of coquettish, you know, uh, charming in her own little girlish way, naive, whether or not she was, was, was a different matter, but she was supposed to act naive. And she was supposed to be virginal, again, whether she was or not. Very innocent. This is the, the, the ideal, the princess. Where, as you move from the modern to the postmodern, or from kind of the 1950s moving over into the 21st century, you start to see what I think of as the diva, more of a postmodern diva. She is fierce. She is independent. If you look at Glamour magazine, um, for example, you'll, you'll see them using these terms. Oh, she's so fierce. She's so feisty. She's so independent. Firm. 
again, literally and figuratively, incomprehensible. These uh, women are supposed to be deep wells of mystery, just inscrutable. Worldly wise, it is not good for a woman to be naive anymore. She gets shamed for that. Now she is supposed to be experienced, including sexually, uh, with the erotic. She is supposed to look sexual. She is supposed to be experienced sexually. This is the new model we have. And just to put some faces with this, next slide. Right, we go from one to the other. Sorry, if you're listening online, uh, you, you don't see this. But, you know, Grace Kelly, um, Whitney Houston from the 80s. Remember those awesome music videos? Right? Uh, the Disney princesses of old have been transmuted over into the postmodern era, and now we have Kristen Stewart and Tina Fey and Beyonce and others. And this is not to say that one side is better than the other. I'm not making any comment on that. This is not to say that women are entirely over on one side or the other. In reality, I'm guessing most of you women have to deal with multiple ideals all at once. You actually have to be the princess and the diva. I feel bad for women today, you know, because even after we went through the feminist revolution and women were supposed to be liberated from all this stuff, it seems like the, the womanly ideal is more complicated than ever. Which is why it's genuinely liberating, but also confusing when you start moving to another ideal. And you say, well, we are going to shoot for a Christian woman. Well, neither side is known for her wisdom in terms of the princess and the diva, but what about when you go to Christian models? Next slide. You have various instantiations of this image, don't you? The, the Holy Mother, Mary, and the child. And, you know, if you look through church history, I won't bore you with all the details, but you see uh, preconceived ideals of women, the it girl, either the, the very meek and submissive wife, the chaste nun, the devoted mother. And none of these things are bad. In fact, uh, some of them are very good. Some of these qualities are very good. They're, they're biblical, in fact, to be submissive and chaste and a devoted mother. Yes, of course. But we have such a strong preconception of what a woman is supposed to be sometimes that when we go to Proverbs 31, we already think we know what Proverbs 31 is about. Let me, let me own this a little bit more. I thought I had this sermon down when I told Bill that I would preach this sermon, and then I went back and I read the Bible. <laughs> Preaching the Bible is a, is a dangerous thing to do, because um, it doesn't always say what you want to say. In my opinion, Proverbs 31 has little resemblance to the worldly it girl or the churchly it girl. So hear this passage afresh, if you will. Verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm 
all the days of her life. Okay, so far, so good. In fact, if you go to the next slide, we might just sum this up and say, uh, sorry, one more. We might say that the, the Proverbs 31 woman is all about being trustworthy. Okay, that sounds good. She is supposed to be excellent. She is supposed to seek good for her husband. She is supposed to uh, be trustworthy so that he has no lack of gain. Sounds pretty good. A, uh, a loyal woman really goes a long way. Uh, young men, if you are not married yet and you are looking for a wife, look for a loyal woman. That really does help. If she has integrity, if she, if she uh, is, is worth trusting, that really can make your life quite happy. When Christina and I met, uh, I noticed that she did not let me in very fast. Uh, I had to work at it so that she trusted me enough, but I noticed this about her, that as I met her, her circle of insiders, her very close friends, and I met her uh, parents, and I met her siblings, I noticed that she was intensely devoted to her people. That if you get inside that, in, that, that inner sanctum of her life, then she will be extremely loyal. And that was very uh, attractive. Um, that, that, that you don't mess with her people. Uh, I couldn't make fun of her family, because she's like, I will make fun of my family, thank you very much. <laughs> that sort of thing. I was attracted to her loyalty. Uh, I was also attracted to the fact that she was gainfully employed. (laughs) The girl was making money. (laughs) She was already working at the University of Sioux Falls and uh, doing a great job and was a professional. And, and, you know, at the time I thought that was a little selfish, you know, and uh, a little superficial for me to think that. But it turns out it's biblical after all. Verse 13. Verse 13. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. A lot of working going on here, right? This is a working woman. But there's more. Verse 16. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She's a hard-working woman. But wait, there's more. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. Because she's a hard-working woman. But wait, verse 20. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs 
at the time to come. Now tell me if I'm incorrect here, but this whole passage basically so far has been about woman's work. That the Proverbs 31 woman knows what it means to work. She works hard, she works diligently. She is a good businesswoman. Now I'm all for raising up Christian women who know what it means to be meek and mild. Great. But this woman right here is a solid businesswoman. That's what makes her so trustworthy, in fact. She's just industrious. If you go to the next slide. This woman is not industrious. Barbie, right? In fact, when you go to the the end of the chapter, it'll say that, that beauty is fleeting and charm is vain. Because you'll look for a woman... Uh, who is beautiful. And you should. You, you should marry a woman you think is beautiful. She, she should knock you out. But please do not expect that your woman is going to stay the same over the years. It doesn't work that way. Unless you're Barbie. <laughs> and Barbie is a bad conversationalist. So look for inner beauty as well. Something more enduring. Charm. It seems to go a long way at first. People say, oh, wow, she just makes me feel so crazy inside, and I love it. She's, such a, she's so mysterious. But, but here's the deal, folks. When you marry someone, the mysteries will end. You, you use the same bathroom as them, right? And more than that, I mean, you, you just figure out these things. And, you know, and there's always still a little bit of mystery there, but there's not like these deep wells of mystery. And that, that's a good thing. In fact, the only people who remain mysteries to their, their partner are people who are certified insane, right? Because you can't get to the depth of somebody who's insane. So you're not looking for beauty and charm, ultimately. You are looking for an industrious woman. Doesn't sound as glamorous at first, does it? But you know what? That is what an excellent wife is. And the Bible suggests that this is indeed very, very valuable. Because it's not just that this woman keeps busy. It's not that she's crocheting 24 hours a day. Not that there's anything wrong with crocheting. It is that she is doing tons of stuff. Next slide, I think. Oh, next slide. You know, she is at work uh, in, in, in multiple ways. She is not just doing one thing. She is just productive in all measures. Next slide. Go back and look at the text. Verse 13. You'll notice she is in charge of purchasing. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is in charge of transport. Verse 14. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. Verse 15, she's a manager. She's in charge of administration. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. That's good economics. Did you know that the word uh, economics comes from a biblical word, oikonomia, which means the house rule or the house management? So, so this woman has good oikonomia. She, she understands economics. 
Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. That is, she is in investing. And then all sorts of production. Verse 17 on. She is actually making the textiles. She is actually designing clothing, apparently. She is actually um, creating things of value for herself and for her family and for her uh, employees and for the entire community. This also involves charitable giving. And if you are in business, please consider this as part of your business, not as something just necessarily on the side that you do uh, as, as an individual, although consider that too. But think about how your business helps the community and specifically can help the poor. And she has done this too. The Proverbs 31 woman, verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Ostensibly with her own business, with this clothing business that she's in. And she's in sales, verse 24. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. This woman can do it all. She is the consummate businesswoman. So it's not just simply that she's industrious, although you do want to look for a hardworking woman, but you know that, that this woman really has, has applied herself. Um, that in her wisdom... She has applied all of her skills. That's quite an ideal, isn't it? You don't meet many women like this. You don't meet many people who have all of these skills. Even very successful business people don't usually have this kind of lineup of skills. They can't do all that. But Lemuel's mother says, if you want that top-notch woman, then this is what you go for. The world misses this, of course. The world has a hard time speaking about work. Um, although, you know, I have to mention this. I'm sorry. This is too good. The world does get it right every once in a while. Next slide. A great song from 2001 called Short Skirt, Long Jacket by Cake. <laughs> it's a brilliant song. This is verse two from it. I want a girl who gets up early. I want a girl who stays up late. I want a girl with uninterrupted prosperity who uses a machete to cut through red tape. <laughs> with fingernails that shine like justice and a voice that is dark like tinted glass who is fast and thorough and sharp as a tack. She is touring the facility and picking up slack. I want a girl with a short skirt and a long jacket. <laughs> you know, out of which I take, one does not have, a woman does not have to compromise her femininity in order to be a businesswoman. She can be beautiful and even sexy and at the same time very prosperous, very industrious, just a good businesswoman. And it pops out to me because that, that actually sounds an awful lot like Proverbs 31 woman. <laughs> the world occasionally does get it right. You know, they're throwing darts blindly, I think. But, you know, occasionally they get it right. But oftentimes they don't. Go to the next slide. <clears throat> Here are three models that I think have distracted us from Proverbs 31. 
that the world has thought about women's work. And it has said, if you go back to a very kind of old model, if you are noble, if you are nobility, if you are a woman of means, then you don't work. At least you don't produce anything. You become an entertainer. You might oversee your household, but really it is much more about living in leisure. That was one distracting philosophy historically. Very different than Proverbs 31. And even here in, in, in Persia, um, in the, uh, the, the post-exilic period for the, Jew, for the Israelites, they would be competing with that. That a noble woman is just slothful. Moving up more to recent history, in the Victorian period, really the 19th century, you find women who are encouraged to stay at home. Um, The ideal woman, her work is entirely domestic. And there's nothing wrong with working at home. Uh, That can be a wonderful blessing. But in the Victorian period, it was very exaggerated. Something that sociologists call the separate spheres doctrine, which says that men uh, have the public sphere, Government, war, and business. Men are in charge of business. So if you really want to work, then you've got to be a man and you've got to be out there. The woman has the private sphere. That is, she is in charge of home and hearth and educating children. And her work, if she has any, is going to be done within the private realm. Guess what? Women also got religion. Why? Because religion was seen as a private thing. It was seen as something you exercise at home. But you don't bring your Christianity into the workplace. That's crazy. So you can see the damage that did, not just to women, but also to all of us, because now we have a hard time bringing our faith into the workplace, because it seems, um, at best, feminine and weak. At worst, it is a total violation of categories. So much for the Victorian ideal. And then as you move into the 20th century, especially after World War II, when America had such great prosperity, uh, technology was developing, and what happened is that the women who, who had at least some kind of industry at home no longer did because dishwashers were invented. I'm telling you the truth here, you know. Uh, washing machines were invented, and there wasn't as much work needing to be done at home. And so what happened then is that women's work became devalued because they said, well, you're just using a few machines anyway. Okay, well, that's problematic right there. But what happened is that women, instead of becoming productive at home, got put in charge of consuming things. They're the ones who go out shopping. And there is a a function for that in the family, don't get me wrong, but it also creates problems, doesn't it? Because now, if a woman is going to be truly womanly and do her job, then she goes out shopping, and that becomes a hobby as well as a task. And then you have a whole culture of shopaholics. But the problem in context here is that this is not a Proverbs 31 woman. The Proverbs 31 woman does not go out and and, and shop at Macy's and then go to the co-op and then go to all these places just to pick up all her stuff. She's producing something. And there's nothing wrong with shopping. That's not my point. The point is this, is that the Proverbs 31 woman is thinking in terms of productivity. So these are paradigms that we have to be aware of and fight against as believers in the wise God. By contrast, the Proverbs 31 woman 
is all about clothing herself in very intentional ways. Go to the next slide. Have you noticed this? There's a clothing motif in Proverbs 31. It's all about clothing, but, but this is not the kind of glam that you see out in magazines and on TV. Here's how she runs her clothing business. First of all, she exercises integrity. She is primarily concerned about clothing herself with righteousness. With righteousness. She is self-supporting. She's able to make her own clothes. She can provide for herself. In verse 22, she makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. And, and that, that's how we should be as Christians, too. That we should be taking care of ourselves. We, should be, we shouldn't be relying on the kindness of strangers. Um, ideally, we should be trying to produce as much for ourselves as possible. It's not always possible, but as much as it's in our power, we should. But she's also responsible for others. She's not about all self-seeking and um, the accumulation of wealth. She's able to clothe others and dignify them. That is true of her children. That is true of her employees. She's always seeking to bless her employees. She is able to dignify even the poor because she takes responsibility for others. And indeed, she is value-producing in the larger commercial arena. In verse 24, we see that she takes all these clothes and brings them down to the merchants, and she sells them to the merchants who can sell them in turn. She is part of this community of exchange to which we are called to. All of this constitutes the practices of a healthy businesswoman. But you'll notice one thing there at the end, and and this is in contrast to the world standards too, that she is praised. Passive. Praised. She does not praise herself. She does not tout her own abilities. Rather, she looks to be praised, to be uplifted by others. And this is indeed what happens. She She has elevated so many other people, and now the people whom she's elevated elevate her. Her children praise her. Her husband praises her publicly uh, out in the gates. The gates is where uh, business would be done, where some governance would be done. And he praises her publicly. Indeed, the whole community knows this woman and praises her. And that is fitting for a woman as excellent as this. In contrast to the nobility view of women's work, The Proverbs 31 woman is industrious. In contrast to the Victorian view, the Proverbs 31 woman is engaged in public life. In contrast to the post-industrial view of women's work, the Proverbs 31 woman is productive. That's all I'm going to say about work for now, um, because we're going to be talking about it quite a bit in September. Uh, The church needs to hear more about work, doesn't it? We spend almost half our waking lives working. So we want to do this well. We want to do it intentionally. There's one final thing I want to share with you this morning. This woman really sums up the book of Proverbs quite nicely. Go to the next slide. Uh, One more, sorry. 
Verse 25, uh, sorry, 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And this wisdom is kind. She's certainly industrious. She cares for her family, and her family cares for her. She is praiseworthy. And most importantly, there in verse 30, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. She fears the Lord. And just stop and think about where we've been this summer. We started out with the fear of the Lord. In fact, almost every single Sunday, we've, we've sung this song, let the fear of the Lord be over all the earth. Make it salvation song. Let it be wisdom's birth. This woman is wise because she fears the Lord. She has, In fact, she is a kind of embodiment of wisdom. All throughout the book of Proverbs, you have wisdom being portrayed in feminine ways. Uh, throughout the book of Proverbs, you have wisdom being portrayed as a woman, as a wife, as a mother, as a daughter. But here you have a very specific, tangible example of a woman who's doing it, who is living this wisdom, who is very much like Lady Wisdom. She's kind, she's industrious, she's praiseworthy, and she fears the Lord. The fear of the Lord is our starting point in the book of Proverbs, and it is our ending point, just as it is for the Proverbs 31 woman. It is about the fear of the Lord. It is about reverencing Him. It is about knowing Him, knowing His greatness, and and living a wise life in response. It is about comprehending the greatness of God, the transcendence of God, and a love that knows no bounds, and just being floored because of that. Experiencing the majesty and the grace of God and to respond to Him, that is the fear of the Lord. And folks, whether, whether you are a woman or a man here today, the message is the same. Fear the Lord. Do not give in to the fear of other things. Women, I know, have fears of so many things in this life, and some of them seem to be justified. Fear of the, the, the things that can hurt women. Fear of the ideals and the the impossible standards that the world throws at women. But you women are not called to be afraid of the world. You are called to fear the Lord. And if you fear the Lord, then all those other fears are going to be relegated down to the bottom of the list.
And you men, you have to deal with all sorts of fears about your own insecurity, about your own weakness. You have to deal with fears, um, the fear of, of our cultural standards and impossible standards for masculinity. And the Lord says, stop fearing them. You coward, fear me. That is the proper fear. We fear the Lord, and therefore we can be wise people. And I'd like to say that there's some uh, man or woman here in Sioux Falls that can demonstrate that perfectly to us. Uh, It's not so easy. But there is somebody that I know who demonstrates it perfectly and who shows us God so clearly that all we can do is fear the Lord and be wise people. His name is Jesus. Jesus.